The views expressed in this program are those of the participants. My name is Crichton. How do you do? I'm standing in the coming election on behalf of the Independent Future Party. I've been on G-Deck now all my life, but you hear these stories about dispensers coming here from P-Deck and B-Deck because they know our servicing programs are free. Before you know it, they'll be taking over. How are you going to stop that? Welcome everyone, it is Thursday, September 12th, 2019. I'm Bob Metz, and this is Just Right, broadcasting around the world and online. Join us for an hour of discussion that's not right-wing. It's Just Right. Fade into color, color into black and white. Under the bedclothes, everything will be Our last two shows were devoted to coverage of the People's Party of Canada, the PPC, where we have found ourselves in the unique position, unique for us that is, of being not merely observers or commentators of the news, but as frontline sources of exclusive coverage of this political development. This week our attention regarding the PPC shifts away from the candidates and party per se, and focuses on the issues that the PPC is daring to bring to the Canadian electorate. Issues that have already raised their fair share of controversy in Canada. Yet these issues are not so different from those causing controversy in the United States, Britain, Europe, Australia, and other Western countries. At the forefront, of course, is the issue of mass immigration, and everything that has come to imply. And this week we're doing something very different. We're turning the entire discussion over to a panel of PPC candidates who agreed to sit in front of our cameras for a Just Right YouTube presentation. Robert Vaughn and I did not participate in the discussion, but stayed behind the cameras so that you could hear how these representatives of a party that's coming under fire for daring to discuss mass immigration and other issues related to it actually view the issues themselves. Then contrast that with what you'll be hearing and are hearing in the mainstream media. All that begins right after I remind you that you can and should write us at feedback at justrightmedia.org, subscribe to Just Right on iTunes, and follow us on SoundCloud. Hear us on WBCQ and on Channel 292 Shortwave. Visit us at www.justrightmedia.org where you can access all of Just Right's social media links, our archived broadcasts, and of course, where we encourage you to offer your financial support and in so doing, make it possible for us to attend a conference like the one held in Gatineau, Quebec, where we were able to record the following panel discussion that took place on August 17. The setting is in one of the Hilton Hotel's cavernous conference rooms, only minutes after it was cleared out by hundreds of attendees, and there were actually still hotel staff members working around us, very politely clearing many of the tables. And also in attendance was a small group of observers who stayed late to watch the proceedings. Five People's Party of Canada candidates took time from the PPC convention in Gatineau to discuss globalism, Islamism, and of course immigration. Mark Friesen, Frank Vaughn, David Haskell, Laura Lynn Thompson, and Ivan Pack spoke freely and openly about three of the most provocative issues in Canadian politics without fear of reprisal from their leader, Maxime Bernier, who has championed free speech as a fundamental Canadian value. 
and free of any leading questions from Robert Vaughn or myself. All of the panelists have been previously interviewed individually on Just Right, and those interviews are available on our site. Kicking off the discussion is the voice of Mark Friesen, who was appointed as panel moderator only moments before getting the discussion underway. So immigration is a important policy platform of the PPC. In fact, it's, it's one of our top issues, I think, as a party, and really separates us from the rest of the establishment. Because again, we're not afraid to have the discussion, we're not afraid to actually reduce the immigration numbers to a manageable number. And I think numbers are important when we're having this discussion of immigration. Thoughts? It, it's about protecting Canada for everybody that's that's here right now. If you want to have a Canada that is representative of what people like yourself came here to experience, you have to devise an immigration policy that's that's going to protect that, not an immigration policy that's based on, on virtue signaling. And I think that's what we're trying to do. It's a policy that's consistent with what the majority of Canadians want. Yeah, and I always tell constituents that, in fact, we are the most pro-immigrant party you can be because if you really care about the people who are coming to your country you want to make sure that they can become integrated into your country successfully so that they are welcome and the best social scientific evidence uh, a guy who is producing some really great research right now is a guy named Eric Kaufman and he's out of the University of London and he's shown that the best thing you can do when you're dealing with immigration is to make sure that the number is low enough that the people coming in can integrate and also so that the people who are already in the country welcome them when numbers get too high that's when tensions begin to rise and you see things like enclaves where people don't integrate and instead they become more insular Ghettoization. And, and this is a real problem because I want to show as much compassion as we can to the people who come to our country yes and, and the way that you do that is to be able to have a manageable number that allows us to show that compassion. You know, Ivan and I really had to come to terms with this whole issue because when I was running in Burnaby South, here I was surrounded by immigrants and I was being called a racist. And when I went up against Jugmeet Singh in the debates, Jugmeet himself calling me a racist because we wanted to stand for safe borders. And here we were, we were dealing with something really particular in Burnaby South and that was the death of Marissa Shen, a girl who Trudeau certainly does not want to talk about, a girl that the left-wing media is not talking about, a 13-year-old girl who was murdered in Central Park right in our riding, very close to where many of the constituents lived. And here they were calling me a racist while they would show pictures of me completely <coughs> surrounded by immigrants. immigrants, right, from all different nationalities. Support. and. This is something that we can't cave into because somebody calls us bad names. Mm. We can't cave into because somebody is trying to define what makes you, you know, a good person or you're evil because you want a safe Canada. No, this is a real family. It was an immigrant family. Marissa's family were immigrants and their daughter will never be back. And so the fellow that is facing the murder charges is a refugee, uh, Syrian refugee. Mm. And so this is a real issue. Nobody is trying trying to be racist, but it's an important issue for the safety of our nation. And, and if I remember reading about that, yeah. you were simply saying, we need to look at vetting people who are coming into our country. Yes. Yeah. Like that that's what you were talking about. Yes. You weren't talking about skin color. You weren't talking about ethnicity. You were saying, we need to vet people yes. because there are certain values. Yes. And, and you wanted to talk about that. And Jagmeet didn't want to talk at all. No. Right? Mm -hmm. It was all about censorship. Yeah. But 
I mean, what's it what's it like for you? You're going to be campaigning in Burnaby. I'm campaigning in Richmond, and uh, oh, sorry, oh, Richmond. It's a, it's a riding with you know a lot of immigrants, you know, mm. from from Asia, you know, from Hong Kong, uh, where I came from, and uh, uh, the reason why I support PPC on this immigration policy is, as an immigrant myself, I want to be treated equally and fairly. Mm. Okay, and. Um, I do not want people to jump in over the line. I immigrated here legally, you now with my parents, you know, 23 years ago. And now we have this government is opening our border to, to like, likely everybody, right? So everybody can cross the, the border from the state and then claim they want to stay here, right? So from my perspective, it's not fair to us. And also, are these people trying to integrate into the society? Mm. And I know a lot of people having really hard time integrating into, for example, learning the language, speaking English or French and the, our official language. And uh, I have, actually, I tell myself every single day, to practice my English, speak more, and then talk to people, you know, speak English. And uh, that's the way I'm trying to integrate. Mm. To, and uh, I think some people has been discouraging because our government is telling people, well, it's okay to, you to, to be a Chinese. It's okay to speak Chinese in your own community. Mm. And uh, I, I think that's wrong mm. because the reason why I'm here is because I believe in Canadian values, mm. okay? And the very less likely in the Chinese community, people don't talk about Canadian values, mm. okay? To me, democracy is one of the Canadian values. Freedom of speech is something, make that such a decision to come over here, to leave my home country, mm. you know, behind. And now you're right. seeing it disappear. And yeah, I'm seeing here, right here in Canada, freedom of speech is being taken away, you know, mm. slowly, mm. you know, bit by bit. Well, when we have a prime minister that refers to our country as a post-nation state and refers to our country as not having an identity, right. that's very concerning to me and, and to most people, I think, in the party, but most Canadians. At the end of the day, when we talk about our culture, we talk about our values, we're talking about freedom, liberty, justice, equality, tolerance, compassion, responsibility, in totality, right? Because there's a lot of countries that may share some of those values or maybe at a limited sense all of those values but there's only really one country in the world I believe that shares all of those values in totality and that's Canada yes so we want to keep those values and we want to protect those values and those ideals in order for us to remain a country where people can and do want to come and the irony there is that when you look at how the media portrays this issue hmm. right mm -hmm. very specifically when Max delivered this policy he said, here are the values that we want you to integrate to. We want you to treat men and women equally. Mm. We want you to support democracy. We want you to support free expression. We want you to say, the lifestyle you choose, you get the right to choose that. And we can have the opportunity to really have disagreements with tolerance, right? Mm. So he's asking for that. He's asking for that. So I would ask the media, which one of these values don't you want newcomers to hold? Right. I mean, that should be our question. Mm -hmm. All the values that we're saying should be held are things that are protected by our charter. Mm -hmm. So how can the media not support this? It used to be the case that if a politician said, I don't want you to hold these values, that's the scandal. Right, that's the radical. That's, that's the, Now we have a politician. 
Exactly. Mm. So that to me is really, really curious mm -hmm. that, that we've gotten to this point where supporting these values is controversial. Right. And here we have Professor uh, Salim Mansour, mm. who our party has embraced, who is being called the racist out in the public. Like, sorry, but nobody's believing you because there's no truth to it. I'm sitting here with Ivan. Mm. Uh, when we look at the diversity that is in our group, Professor Salim Mansour being welcomed into our party after being rejected mm. by the Conservative Party of Canada. Why? Because Hamish Marshall said, well, we're, this is, yeah, too controversial, you know, Islamophobic. Uh, right? We don't want to be called racist. Right. No, we'll leave that to the PPC. So we'll take the good candidates then mm. is how it's going to be. Mm. And we've reached a new season in time where the main political parties are refusing to have common sense. And that's why Maxime is saying that this is a new common sense revolution. Mm. Well, and the new racism, as I like to call it, is is actually labeling the PPC. All you have to do is come to one of our rallies and one of our events and just have a look at the crowd. Mm. Everybody's represented there. There's immigrants there. there. There's every kind of person there that you would think. And ignoring them, or what I see on Twitter all the time, is those people, like, like yourself sitting on this panel, somebody out there will say, you're token. Mm. That's yeah. really racist. They're dismissing you, and they're dismissing everybody in the party like you that, that might be a visible minority or uh, somebody who's immigrated here. That's the actual exclusion. Yeah. And the idea that you brought up about integration into the country that you're coming to hmm. used to be a staple of immigration to any country. Somewhere along the way, the script is flipped, and now integration is a bad idea, and balkanization is a good idea, and balkanization leads to the destruction of national integrity. So what is the value? of somebody coming here if the nation itself is destroyed and our nation is better and that's the PPC says that so Canada is superior in many ways I think it's, okay. I think it's interesting in the discussion now because this <laughs> can actually take us to the next topic which would be globalism so we have to ask the question why is the establishment doing this why are they coming up with policies that go against what we're trying to do and protecting our, our culture and protecting our values and what we are and what it means to be Canadian? It's really terrifying. So why are they doing it? Before our discussion continues, on this side of the upcoming bumper from the Rebel Media's Ezra Levant show of August 27th, with his reflections about a mass immigration billboard erected on behalf of the PPC being removed due to the contrived controversy surrounding it. While on the return side of our bumper, from the August 27th AM radio broadcast of the Tom McConnell Show, with Tom reflecting on the just-released federal party slogans. Hello, my rebels. Today I show you a disgrace in Canadian politics, a billboard uh, bought and paid for by a registered campaign group. Contract signed with the billboard company Patterson Outdoor that simply said, stop mass immigration, was hounded off the sign by a Twitter mob led by the CBC state broadcaster. And I don't care what you think about immigration. If you believe in free speech, that's wrong. I'm sure you've seen this billboard. It looks like it's a billboard from Maxime Bernier, the leader of the People's Party, and that's his face, of course, and you can see his party's logo. But as you can see by the small print underneath, that billboard is actually produced by a registered third-party campaign group for the upcoming election. They simply say, say no to mass immigration. That's it. They don't say, say no to all immigration. Which is another point of view. They don't say, say no to immigration from terrorist-infested countries. 
or, or even they don't say, say no to refugees. They just say, say no to mass immigration. Mass means massive numbers, open borders style immigration. You could probably include the 50,000 fraudulent refugees who've just walked across the illegal border crossing from New York State into Quebec. But it's the 50,000 part that is the mass part. But anyone who wonders why we don't have better integration and assimilation culturally, it's the mass part. Because it's the mass part that allows enclaves um, so yeah, you can be against mass immigration. In fact, it's a bit unusual if you're not. I mean, statistically unusual, as Angus Reid's poll and really every other poll ever done shows. Most Canadians think we have too many immigrants, just a few percent, 4%, 6%, depending on the poll, say we should actually increase our number, but about half say we should reduce our number, and the rest just don't know. So that's going straight to the question of mass immigration or not. Numbers too high or too low. If you asked people if we should limit immigration from countries that are terrorist-infested failed states like Somalia, I bet the number would be even higher. I bet if you asked now if, given that the Syrian civil war is largely over, if you asked if Syrian refugees who are no longer really refugees, if they should go back, I bet that number would be high too. But it's not allowed in the narrative. And so when this very simple, very underproduced billboard went up, say no to mass immigration, it was a shock, not to normal Canadians who polls show think that way, but to the official keepers of the ideas, the media party, the political establishment. I should point out that it's not just the CBC and the liberals who hated this billboard. Timid half-conservatives did too. They know that mass immigration is politically deadly, to conservative parties in the long run. It's, it's how the Democrats won California. It's how the Democrats will win Texas. They can't get voters to change their minds and be socialists, so they just bring in new voters from Mexico. That's the way they do it in California and Texas. The liberal plan in Canada couldn't be more explicit. I don't know if you remember our story from a couple years back. Syrian refugees to Canada literally were asked to sign releases, photo releases, on the plane ride over to let Trudeau take a photo with them. That was their most important purpose to Canada, to be campaign props for Trudeau, and obviously to vote for him too, duh. That's why Trudeau goes to all the mosques, including mosques that have been associated with terrorist recruitment. Listen to how Trudeau bragged a few years back about visiting, listen to him say it, the Asuna Wahhabi Mosque in Montreal that the Pentagon says was an Al-Qaeda recruitment center. Because I spend a lot of time running from the uh, Bangladeshi to the Pakistani to the uh, Maghrebian <laughs> to the, uh, the uh, Asuna Wahhabi Mosque. To, I cover, I cover all, all the different communities. Including the terrorist community, I guess. So yeah, Trudeau knows exactly what he's doing. So does the media. They're pushing mass immigration on Canadians over our democratic wishes. Uh, Andrew Scheer typically refuses to fight on these grounds, as I've shown you before. That was actually when Andrew Scheer turned against us, and against me in particular. I asked him some pointed questions about immigration five times in a row, and he just refused to answer. So it's an opinion cartel going on in Canada. None of the official parties want to talk about mass immigration. Andrew Scheer quibbles about the processing of immigrants. He wants it to be more orderly at the Roxham Road crossing, but he never quarrels with the quantity, the numbers, certainly not about the cultural fit. No, 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 never. In fact, recently he proudly met with Omar Subadar. He's the guy on the left there. He's the Muslim imam famous for instructions 
to Canadian Muslim men on how to properly beat your wife. <laughs> he really, that's his claim to fame. So yeah, of course they kept Maxime Bernier out of the debates. Um, they didn't want someone talking about these things, but now they have to keep them off the billboards too. And by they, you know who I mean. I mean the establishment, the elites. Battle of the slogans. The liberals came out with choose forward. The conservatives, it's time for you to get ahead. The Green Party's not left, not right, forward together. And then the People's Party of Canada actually has the one that probably cuts through the most. Strong and free. Right? Because there's always that tug between do we want strength or do we want freedom you can't have both you know what the people's party says strong and free do any of these really grab you and i'm going to say i think maybe the best one is the people's party strong and free like free as in free health care free education free pharmacare or free to say whatever i want regardless of the consequences. Free to say and spout off inanities and insults and just say, this is political correctness gone amok. Strong and free! Freedom means free from the threat of coercion or the use of physical force by others. And yes, that means freedom of speech to say whatever you want without the fear of government controlling that speech. Which, sad to say, is not the Canada of today. Our panel discussion continues really terrifying. So why are they doing it? Is it money? Is there a certain faction that is being bought off? Because it doesn't make sense if you really look at it. Hmm. It doesn't make sense that candidates are being run in other parties that have links to really questionable ties to terrorism. Why right. is this an okay thing? Yet when our party, who is vetting very carefully at this hmm. point, because we know we'll be called out every single second, hmm. I mean... You know, it's a good thing that uh, I didn't haven't had a speeding ticket in the last, you know, well, it's been a week, right? <laughs> so I'm fine now. But uh, if we, you know, if we so much as step out over a line, we get called out. Why are we not being and thinking that it's more logical to protect our beautiful Canada mm. with the values? Why are some leaders of other political parties who shall remain unnamed speaking mm. to men who teach other men how to beat their wives, you know, without mm. leaving, um, you know, marks or bruises? And it shouldn't be too, it shouldn't be a too bad experience for All her. Right. Mm -hmm. Why are they speaking to these people? These are not our Western values, you know? With that particular case where Andrew Scheer and also Justin Trudeau are meeting with the same individual, Subedar, Omar Subedar, yeah. I think is his first name. One of the, the counterpoints that's been brought to my attention is that the, he didn't know. But they have staffers that are paid to vet people and resources that our party doesn't have. And we catch, we, we, we catch these things. They won't let Salim in. They practice nepotism by getting rid of Mark King. They study everything. And you want me to believe that Sheer walked into a meeting with this person and sat down with him mm. and had lunch, and yeah. somebody didn't know exactly who he with was sitting down people, with. With all the people they already have in the party that are very aware. Right. Mm -hmm. yep. 
And so the excuse is, is that it was ignorance. He just didn't know. So I want to, I want to take a look at the 10,000 foot view and answer the question. So how do we get to this spot where people are embarrassed to stand up for Canadian values? Mm. And you, you can really trace it back to the movement within the universities where people began to promote this idea of cultural relativism, mm -hmm. where you couldn't say some cultures are better, mm -hmm. right? And it was guilt-driven. And even some of it was justified because there was some really terrible behavior that was put forth by Western society. You can take anything too far. Yeah, exactly. Mm. But we threw the baby out with the bathwater mm. because you need to be able to say, this is very good about Canada. Mm. And you need to say that this culture is better than a culture where they stone women. Mm -hmm. This culture is better than a culture where they throw gay people off the roof. Yes. This is better. Mm -hmm. And so in the PPC, we are willing to say, no, it's better and, it's willing, and we're willing to protect it. Right. We're willing to have the tough conversation to say, there's a line. And this line is where Canadian values start, and when you don't have those Canadian values, you've crossed that line. And yep. when we protect it, and when we cherish those values, people from countries that do have that oppression and do have that violence towards different genders, different sex, different, you name it, they want somewhere to go right. where they can contribute and where they'll be safe and where they'll be respected. And that's what we want to do. So how is that a bad thing? How can that be framed? All of a sudden, we're the racist? I don't think so. I, I think we're the opposite of racist or bigoted. Even in the policy that uh, Max introduced, he makes specific reference to persecuted minorities mm -hmm. that are in these countries. And he says, we want to actually give them priority. Yeah. Right. We know that you are being harmed. Mm -hmm. So therefore, you will move to the front of the line. And that's what compassion is. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yep. And that was an electric moment, even watching it live. I was in my living room. Were some of you there? You yeah, were? I was there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, and, and it was a standing ovation right. mm -hmm. because people are so excited that somebody is just saying what everyone is thinking, that we mm -hmm. love Canada and mm -hmm. we think it's worth protecting and we love the people that embrace and also love our Canada. That is not a bad thing, that is a very good thing. It's positive. People right. are the only positive it. message. And it's healthy. Yes. So as it relates to globalism, you know, I asked earlier, why do we think they're doing this? And you I, tell us. I, I think, we don't know. I think what it is, well, I think you do too, but I know it and I confirm it through people like Salim that the UN, of course, they are wanting to determine policy right. for nations around the world. Mm -hmm. They're talking about an unelected foreign body mm -hmm. that's developing policy, whether it's immigration, whether it's around refugees, whether it's around environment. They're developing policies at a global level, expecting countries like Canada and throughout the West to follow those policies and impose those policies. So when that's happening we are losing our sovereignty they're not stealing it we're giving it to right. away. we're giving our sovereignty away and we've been doing it for a number of years and so when we do that when we relinquish that control and that sovereignty we're, we're at the mercy of a global migration compact that's now going to determine numbers of refugees and migrants that we're going to take in i say refugees because there's actually two packs there's the global compact on migration that everybody's aware of because the media spoke about it. The one they didn't speak about, the one that was signed a week later, is the global compact on refugees. And nobody's talking about that because mm. it's been overshadowed by global compact on migration. Now the conservatives, when they come out and they denounce the GCM, 
where's the word on the compact on refugees? We hear nothing because there's no discussion, hmm. right? There's no talk about it in the media. It's not a hot button. There's nothing to gain for them to discuss it, but it's there and it exists. So we're at a position and we're at a place in time where we have a foreign entity that is establishing policy. Now they're not imposing that policy because the UN ultimately doesn't have any power. But it's a slippery slope when you have establishment parties in Canada and throughout the West that are signing on to these agreements. And it's not just, I mean, we have a precedent with the report on Indigenous people, hmm, right. which was another UN yes. directive. Right. I don't know if that legislation is passed, but that UN directive became the foundation for a private member's bill. I can't remember if it's gone through final reading, but to say that this incrementalism doesn't lead toward legislation in our country. It's just simply not true. But it's, a, it's a political sales pitch. You go to the United Nations, you use this term non-binding, and they can paint any concern over the agreement as being, you're, you're being hyperbolic. You're worried about something that's not going to be implemented. But you don't need a law that comes from an international body when the people that are negotiating it go back to their home countries and pass it through their national parliaments and their legislatures. So that's how they're doing it. It's Orwellian. It's like oligarchical collectivism. We always talk about dictatorships, but it's an overused word. This is an oligarchy of unelected technocrats who move through national governments. They get together, they have these confabs, they decide on policy, they call it non-binding, they sell it to the public, they come home, they pass legislation, exactly. and before you know it, you lose your national sovereignty. And then when you combine that with cultural relativism, they're saying that all nations and all cultures are created equally. Mm -hmm. That's creating this homogeny that they can then sit on top of and direct. Which is exactly the overall agenda of making all countries on the planet equal. Right. Right? So what happens? What does that look like when we apply that ideology? Well, it looks like the West is here. We have a great standard of living. We have a great culture. We have a great way of life that everybody wants to come to. But we're going to bring that down to here throughout the West so we can bring the rest of the world here to this point. So then the whole world is down here. That's where globalism mm. is taking control of our way of life. Right. And we have to put a stop to that. We have to take it back. It's interesting, in 2004, Stephen Harper wrote a letter to the Canadian Alliance members. The letter stated, and I'll paraphrase, that the UN Sustainable Development Agenda is a socialist redistribution of wealth scheme meant to suck as much wealth out of the West as possible. Those were his words in a letter to the Canadian Alliance members. Interesting, because once he realized and understood that the Alliance wasn't going to get power, they flipped. And they went and they joined and they merged with the Red Tories, the PCs of old, who were part of the development of the Sustainable Development Agenda from 1992 when Mulroney signed it the first time. So here we go fast forward, all of a sudden, 2015, the last time the Sustainable Development Agenda was signed by Stephen Harper one month before the election, which left the door wide open for then Trudeau to carry on promoting these same policies developed by a foreign entity that doesn't have the best interests of our country at heart. Right. No. Then you've got leaders who are compromised because they're looking at their next promotion, right? Absolutely. So once they're done with being the Prime Minister, then they want to have a seat at the UN, and then it's compromised. Everything's mm -hmm. compromised. And if you're in the club, it's a great deal. Right. And you have no principles. Yeah. You can just live with it. Here again is AM Talk Radio Show host... Tom McConnell in conversation with media consultant Laura Babcock on the topic of party slogans, as aired on CJBK AM Radio 1290 on August 28th. 
the Liberals and the Conservatives, the Green Party and the People's Party of Canada have all come out with their slogans, and the NDP is going to debut their slogan next week. And as a media PR marketing expert, I want your take on them because only one stands out to me. Give me your thoughts on Choose Forward as the Liberal campaign. Well, it makes sense on different levels. One of them is that they are trying to court the progressives, especially when on the extreme right wing of the spectrum, you've got Bernier's party and his, his horrible anti-immigration messaging that's been controversial across the country. So, I mean, you're going to have everybody sort of center, center left saying, what's my option? And if I'm progressive, then I'm somebody who wants to move forward as a fundamental. I don't want to go back to old antiquated policies or roll back human rights or re- open abortion debates or anything else. I want to go forward. You know, and as we've seen the rise of at least more vocal fascism, even across Canada and this anti-immigration nonsense coming from Bernie, when you're looking at all of that, go with this progressive message because it's better than the alternative. All right, so the conservative one is interesting, though. Is that going to tap into the inherent self-interest that many voters have? Um, with some qualifiers. The idea that uh, the liberal ad in that move forward or choose forward ad, they talk about the money back in your pocket to climate yep. change. They make an economic message in there. So I just don't think that's as strong of a plank as it might have been before. If you look at the history of our voting. So if there is a successful attempt to paint Sheer as being more of a social conservative, uh, and certainly Bernie does not help with that, I think it's going to be a really hard message for the conservatives under Sheer to push just on this sort of, uh, you know, we need to put ourselves first. I, I think that Canadians have always had a bigger global view than just simply a pocketbook issue like you might see in the United States. The Green Party seems to be almost a, a message by committee, not left. Not right. Forward together. That forward together message, I feel like I've heard that a bunch of times already from other parties over the years. I don't think that people really totally understand the Green Party. They like Elizabeth May, but they probably don't get uh, where it sits on the political spectrum. And, and I don't think that they're very viable. All right. And finally, the, the only one that really resonates, but it's almost too simple. Strong and free by the People's Party of Canada. Like strong. For, for, uh, all right. Strong and free. You know, those, you're right. So those words are words that are contextual. Like, what does strength mean? Does strength mean saying that immigrants uh, shouldn't be coming into the country? Is, is that strong? To not allow other people to have what we've been the benefits of? I don't, I don't think a lot of Canadians think that that's the case. And free. Uh, what is freedom about? You can make the argument against political correctness or, you know, we can't take away free speech or whatever. Uh, but also, I think that Canadians look at freedom as being in a, in a society that is inclusive and just and equitable. And we're all the children of immigrants. So uh, I don't think they're strong and free uh, means uh, what they might hope some people take it to mean. I think it means something a little bit darker. And that's why, you know, those billboards that were bought by a third-party advertiser, they got pulled down nationally because of the anti-immigration message. So I don't think that Bernier's... He can pick whatever tagline he wants, but the actions of his party and the people supporting his party, I think, are how people are going to judge their campaign. Oh, man. Laura Babcock is always just so wrong about everything political. And by the way, since that exchange, the NDP has released its party slogan, quote-unquote, in it for you. No doubt that's why NDP leader Jagmeet Singh called Laura Lynn Thompson a racist for bringing up the issue of immigration in her riding. 
He's in it for her and for everyone else who thinks like she does, no doubt. Right now, our panel discussion with Mark Friesen, Frank Vaughn, David Haskell, Laura Lynn Thompson, and Ivan Pack continues. To your point, Mark, and you mentioned, you know, bring everybody down. There's another way to look at it, and this is the way that I would look at it, is mm-hmm. I'm concerned about people in developing nations, mm-hmm. right? We all are. Right? And we should be. Mm-hmm. But I also know that the way that you bring them up mm-hmm. is not through handouts. Right. It's not through everybody just comes into your country. What you do is you invest. Mm-hmm. And we've seen this in India. Mm-hmm. We saw this in China. And in the last 10 years, we have seen poverty eliminated in places like mm-hmm. India and China in the millions. Mm-hmm. And it hasn't been socialism that did that. Exactly. It is industry Mm. and investment and development. Mm. And the single greatest way to bring people out of poverty Mm. is to give them the resources in their country through investment and through through capital. Right. And what better country to champion that than Canada, who's a leader in the world in all of these issues, up to and including responsibility. We can decide who we want to help, how much we want to help them with, we can have control, as opposed to having all of our wealth and a lot of our resources handed to this entity that casts our interests aside, actually, in favor of the agenda that they've decided is priority. A good video that illustrates this, and you could argue with different points in the videos, immigration gumballs, type it into YouTube, Hmm. and it talks about how you can't immigrate your way out of global poverty. No. Especially if you if you buy the line that our governments feed us, that we uh, need to bring in all economic migrants that are uh, younger. The PPC's proven that that's false. If you do that, and you believe what they're saying, you're taking their best and their brightest, mm. and you're further impoverishing. Mm. At the same time as you're destabilizing your own country, so you can't do it through welfare. Yeah. And added to all of it, uh, just the general corruption, like you were talking about, if you don't have integrity, you can get a great seat at any table. So now you just have a global problem of corruption in all of these countries that are even attempting to be helped through right. good people or good meaning <laughs> right. people. So it's a, a very huge issue. Ivan, your family immigrated from Hong Kong, right? Yep. So have you ever, have you gone back to Hong Kong at any point? Yes, I have. So the difference between Hong Kong and China, in Hong Kong, Kong had full capitalization, mm-hmm. right? Yep. What, what, what's the difference? Like when you look at the difference, and China is improving, but from a, a first person perspective, like what do you see between Hong Kong and China? My family actually moved from China to Hong Kong mm-hmm. Okay, when I was 14. And my parents actually make a good living because they study hard, they, they were medical doctors, but they won't mm-hmm. license and they have to go through all the exams and, and then study and then get the license and become a medical doctor again in Hong mm-hmm. Kong. But uh, the system in Hong Kong is very simple. Uh, it's not just the tax system, it's, uh, it's how you find a job, how you do business, mm-hmm. or start your own business, stuff like mm-hmm. that. And uh, it's the beauty of capitalism. You try harder and then you live better. But the difference between China and Hong Kong is the government in China is controlling everything. My mom used to tell me when she graduated from the uh, university, mm-hmm. she had a job already. Right? Because the government assigning a job to you, you, you have no choice. Mm-hmm. Right? Right. So, and uh, by taking away people's choice, 
And some people think, oh, that's efficient, right? <laughs> because every decision has been made. But it actually discouraging people to work better for themselves, sure. right? And <laughs> you get paid no matter what. The janitor is getting the same salary as the medical doctors. But the medical doctors spend like eight years in university to study art, right? Mm-hmm. So then people lost their interest to work harder. Right. What's right? the incentive? So, mm-hmm. so when we move to Hong Kong, we see a different world. Mm. In Hong Kong, we can, we can actually have a dream. You know, to have a better life of the family. So this is the something I always cherish. You know, being capitalism, and then also, I don't want any government control. Okay. Yes, in some degrees, you know, government should do something about, for example, to uh, take care of the poor. You know, you know, build up a social net to actually help people to move up. But uh, in the big pictures, and the government should leave their hands off anything. Well, there's a limit. Like yep. you can go too far, even with the things that you're suggesting. Yep. Like once you pass a certain point, there's diminishing returns. Yep. It's actually a negative return. Yeah. But there we have a perfect example. So China, which is now beginning to use a capitalist system, at least as it's modified by them, and they're lifting people out of poverty. Hong Kong was already lifted out of poverty, and then your parents eventually make the choice, and now we're going to go to Canada, and then I imagine they enjoyed even more freedom. Oh, definitely, and. Uh, for China, okay, you you mentioned about they are adopting capitalism, but only on an economy you know level. Politically, there's no freedom right. of speech. No, you know, there's there's right. only one party ruling. So now we see the problem with Hong Kong because I have to mention it because there's a protest now in Hong Kong mm-hmm. and they're trying to fight for freedom of speech or and then. They want to elect their own, you know, governors and all those legislators, and and they should be elected. Okay, and we have all the members in the House of Commons be, being elected. That's the democracy system, right? Mm. And uh, but the Chinese government promised Hong Kong, Hong Kong people will have it, mm. but they just stalking it, pushing it, and then say, oh, I didn't mean it, and then you have your vote, but mm. I'm going to choose the candidate. So that's not democracy, right? So people are protesting it because they think the government of China will listen. Yeah, but I don't believe the Chinese government will listen because Mm. they are always one-party ruling. They will never give away their control. So they won't. They can't. They won't survive if they do. Yes. If they give away, they give away everything they they have. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, the takeaway, and I think a lot of Canadians share this takeaway, is capitalism good, socialism bad. Ultimately, and, and I believe that, and I think a lot of with the caveat that. that we've got to get rid of crony capitalism. Yes, right? yes, right. Yeah, Which absolutely. is we're talking about and corporate a major welfare. plank of the PPC is right. let's get rid yeah. of crony capitalism. Right. Yeah, there's a big difference between that and like what we have now and what pure capitalism is supposed to look like. Right. So globalism and Islamism and how that fits into this web because it is a web. In my long years of research and studying this and speaking with Celine, which has been such a a great boost to us and I think for the party and for Canada to have somebody with that credibility coming to the table to be able to discuss this issue. So globalism and Islamism, how is that related? Tom Quiggin makes the reference, the Red-Green Alliance. So when we're looking at the UN and understanding who is the UN and who's making the policies and creating these policies, we have to understand who makes up the UN. So it's a bunch of countries, 195 countries on the planet. But within that 195, there are voting blocks. And within that, those voting blocks, there are subgroups. The largest voting block at the UN presently is a group called the Organization of Islamic Cooperation, which make up 56 plus one. So 56 Islamic countries plus Palestine, because it's not necessarily a country or it's up for debate. So we have 56 plus one, the largest voting block, part of another block 
that isn't necessarily a voting bloc, but it's a, it's a large group of countries, none of which are Western nations, called NAM. Now, NAM was set up, of course, earlier during the Cold War. All the countries in that group were sort of non-committal to either side. That issue was resolved in 1990, but that group called NAM still remains. And like I said, not one of them are, are a Western nation. The OIC is part of that group. All Islamic countries are part of NAM. So we have a voting block of countries of 125 out of 195. 56 plus one of those carry huge influence in creating policy at the UN level. So who is creating the policies that our governments throughout the West, Canada included, why are we in that position? Why have we put ourselves into that position? And why are we agreeing to policies created by countries that have no interest in Canada's best interest? So when we talk about Islamists, the Muslim Brotherhood has the control when we're talking about the OIC, or the power block. Now, of course, each of those countries have their own power resources. And they're using our system, our freedoms, our charter, our way of life, but they're using it in a way against us, to defeat us, to bring that ideology to Canada, to influence how we do business right here in our own country. Not to mention at the UN, they already have that influence. But now they're going to do it from, from this end too, from the front end. Before our panel discussion wraps up, on this side of our final bumper is PPC leader Maxime Bernier in discussion with Gad Saad in a September 5th interview dealing with another controversy regarding the non-issue of climate change. Maxime Bernier, welcome on the show. Thanks for the invitation. I'm very pleased to be with you. Uh, likewise. <laughs> we had a chance to sit down for a coffee before we get to know each other. It's always yeah. nice to break the ice. And uh, the rumors that you are a charming guy are true indeed. <laughs> he is a charming guy. Uh, so I thought we'd drill down now on some issues, but maybe yeah. we could start with one that got you in supposedly some <laughs> hot trouble recently. Uh, you, <coughs> quote, went after a 16-year-old young woman yeah. who is sort of the poster child of the climate activism. Yeah. Tell us about the story and if there's anything that you'd like to correct, if there's anything to yeah. correct. One of the things that people kept telling me that I should be asking you is, why is this ogre attacking this helpless <laughs> autistic young woman? So what, what are your thoughts on that? First of all, I did, I think it was six tweets about uh, her. She's actually an activist. She's uh, the face of the radical environmentalist. And I know that I did speak about her personal health, but, uh, you know, she did speak about that personally. So she put it out there first. Oh, first, for yeah. sure, and her parents also. And all the radical environmentalists are using that. A and so my mistake was to speak about it instead of being only focused on her message. Yes. message. So that was my mistake, and I did tweet about that because some people were looking at that. Oh, Maxim is attacking all the uh, children that are having some mental problems. A and I said no, a and I, I correct that. Right. But at the same time, you know, the radical uh, environmentalists are using her because it's so difficult to argue against 
a child right. and who has a disability who has a disability but you know it's important because she represents uh, people when she's saying you know I want you to panic I want you to panic I want you to feel my fears that I have every day right. and they want us to have a public policy that would be built on, on, on fears uh, no it must be built on facts and, and on science and, and they are saying that and using her she's the face of that movement right. the emergency uh, climate uh, crisis but for me there's no emergency climate crisis and we must speak about that but the fact that they're using her it's very difficult to have a debate the fact that they're saying you know there's an emergency an it, existential emergency yeah right? it may not be around in three weeks uh, yeah if we don't do anything right. it, it will be the end of the world so they're saying that because you know we don't have the right to debate right. and they don't want to have any debates but I'm saying you know there's no climate change emergency and we must be able to debate that so that's that's important and I'm the only politician to to speak about it so that was easy from the traditional medias to to go after me about that but I'm still very focused on the arguments and, and what sh what she represent we must fight against that Anything this week that Greta might disapprove of? I don't tell people what to do. This is exactly what you keep doing. You're acting like spoiled, irresponsible children. I don't tell anyone what to do or what not to do. I want you to panic. I don't tell people what to do. I want you to panic. I don't tell anyone what to do or what not to do. I want you to act as if the house was on fire. I don't tell people what to do. I want you to act as if the house was on fire. I don't tell people what to do. This is exactly what you keep doing. Can you hear me? All I can hear is vacuous virtue signaling sloganeering. But don't tell me that I have to listen to some emotionally manipulative Stepford child marionette being fed lines by her neurotic parents. The thousand yard stare of total condemnation. All your carbon taxes are belong to us. The church in Sweden appointed Greta as the successor to Jesus Christ. The two most recent deadliest mass shooters also both cited paranoia about the plight of the planet as a motivation for their massacres. If you're starting to think this feels like a cult, that's probably because it's a cult. Just like any cult, criticism or making fun of dear leader is met with swift punishments. Greta set sail on a four million dollar luxury yacht with six members of her team, all of whom are flying back to Germany from New York when the photo op is over. That's 1,800 kilograms of carbon dioxide for each flight. Do as we say, not as we do. I don't tell people what to do. If the poster child for environmentalism is some spurgy browbeating children of the corn looking weirdo, how is that going to encourage anyone to care about real environmental issues? As James Dellingpole asks, why should we listen to a lecture from a child who hasn't even finished her schooling, whose frontal lobes haven't formed, who has no sense of humour, whose every utterance is the second-hand opinion of alarmist grown-ups whose doomsday claims she is completely unequipped to assess. Is it working? Is anyone actually listening? We're all here transfixed by a debate about minute global temperature changes that may or may not happen. Alarmists screeching doomsday global warming prophecies despite the fact they've been proven wrong time and time again. 
Greta is just a human shield for the real agenda of the people who pull her strings. Neo-feudalism disguised as environmentalism. The raw lust for power and control disguised as right on hipster activism. I want you to panic. Thank you, Paul Joseph Watson, for that hilarious take on the silliness of climate change activist Greta. And now, back to our serious panel discussion about an issue that's very real. Islamism, which, just to, to make the case, we, we have to differentiate between Islamism and Muslims. Yes. They're two very different things. We have that's, to make that distinction. That's a problem. Yes. Political Islam is different from Mansur or many others that I can think Gora of. or you name it, yeah. Yeah, it's a very assertive philosophy, and we are not in an assertive time in the West. We're actually, we've drawn in on ourselves, and we're trying to reassert ourselves. That's what the PPC is doing, is saying that we have value. We think it's politically incorrect, though, to actually have and say out loud these values that we hold, right? right. I recently posted a video of One Godless Woman, right? Mm. She's telling a story. Here's a woman. Her own experience. Her own experience. Mm. Right. Yeah. And she was raped. Mm by someone from her community mm. and no one would help her, the police would not help her. Mm -hmm. And some of the comments that were on my line from people that I know, well, they're just mad at her because she's pointing out that the government has all basically bought into not being aware of right. what we're up against. Mm. And that these factions actually have power and control mm. through money, through the UN, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. And so now our government is not listening to people's experience or mm. to our concerns. Well, because what happens is the Islamists use the religion right. and they use their own people right. to promote and forward the agenda of supremacy. They're not necessarily following a Salim Mansour idea of Islam. So there's a lot of nuance and a lot of distinction in this discussion that needs to happen, but at the end of the day, they're using this ideology of supremacy to forward the agenda and they're using Muslims to do it through fear, through oppression, through violence, mm -hmm. because ultimately it's about power, it's about control. Right. And so that's where we're at. Now we have to be able to have the discussion right. in Canada by our politicians who are representing Canadians in their best interest. If we don't have this discussion, we're giving it up. Right. We've we've already lost. Yep. Right? And they know that. And so when a person like Salim Mansour wants to have that discussion and he's kicked out of the Conservative Party or at least disqualified as a candidate. He was somebody that used to be very valued. Yes. And, and so why are we there? Why are we at that point where we can't even have this discussion? Recognize what it is we need to recognize. Have the discussion because part of the discussion is education and information. Right. When I say I'm an anti-Islamist, I get right back in my face, I'm a bigot, I'm an Islamophobe, I'm, you name it, a racist, all these other taglines. They don't even understand the difference between an Islamist and a Muslim. Now, the other side of the argument, of course, is that anybody who is Muslim is an Islamist. Well, that's obviously not true. And that, well, it's not that true. is right. And that distinction needs to be made. The only way that distinction is going to be made and the, the information and education is going to come out is if we put it into the national discussion. So a few things just to, to point. Mm. This is not an area of expertise for me, mm. so uh, I'm coming at, at it from a layperson's view. Mm. So one of the things you're saying, and I want to tease this out, Mark, just to make sure I'm hearing what you're saying. When you're talking about policy being created, you're more or less talking about what's going on with the block within the UN, and then yeah. they formulate policy, it comes down this way. Uh, when you talk about Islamists in Canada, mm. they don't have the political power at this point, but they have some social power that they're able to exert. To, at some point, have that political power. 
potentially. Right. So mm. you're recognizing that the Islamists, that's political Islam, right? Yes. Versus Muslims generally. Right. And just to put a really particular distinction on it, so the majority of people who die because of Islamists are Muslims. Are Muslims right. Right? Yeah. Exactly. And, and the majority of Muslims I know mm. in Canada mm. are rebelling against Islamists and their yes. philosophy, and yes. they come here because they love the freedom. And they that we need have. to be supported, and, and they and need representatives that will support that. Exactly. Yes. And so I have darling, wonderful friends in the Ahmadi community. Mm. So Ahmadi Muslims uh, primarily are in Pakistan, and they reject terrorism. They put the rule of law ahead of religious doctrine, mm. and they are an incredibly persecuted minority. Right. Considered right? apostates. Yeah. Apostates, and and so they come here, and so I'm always very careful to say yeah. the people who are here in our country so many of them reject yes. political they, Islam. They left that oppression to come to Canada where it's free. And I hear the frustration from them that we are not willing to have a conversation yes. about political Islam because they're afraid that it will take root here. Mm -hmm. And so I don't know the statistics on how much infiltration has happened, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. I, I don't know. I haven't studied this. Mm -hmm. But I do know that there have been studies done in Europe. There's Rude Koopmans, R-U-U-D Koopmans, who is a professor from Germany, who did a survey across Europe to see the attitudes. And there were factions within his survey, and it was all Muslim immigrants, and there was significant numbers who were saying things that I found to be very problematic. Mm. And they were things like, I do think that religious doctrine should become before the laws of the land. And it was a majority, in particular, branches of the Islamic faith. So we can never paint them all with one brush. But we need to be able to have the conversations where we say, well, the data, the facts, the research, the empirical evidence actually says this community seems to have a problem with adapting to Western values. Pew Research did a very similar and identified exactly the same thing. And we should be able to have that Absolutely. conversation. Yes. It, Openly. So that we're not betraying the Muslims who have come to Canada. Right. Yes. This well, is they're, they're, really they're an ignored, uh, ignored minority. Right. They're not being represented very well at all. And so what will happen is if we don't have that discussion, then Muslims who just want to live their life, right? They have their faith. They want to live their life. They want to have their families, just like the rest of us do. They share the same values that we do. And they want to fight for that. But if we don't stand for them, right. they are more scared of political Islam than you or I or any of us put together. Right. Because they understand what it'll do to them. Mm -hmm. That they fled an area where it was being imposed on them and, and that oppression to come to Canada to escape that. We are doing an enormous disservice to our immigrants from those nations by not standing up and having this discussion. Right, and it's not actually that hard because we're we're actually doing it right now and amazingly we're all from the PPC. Right, yeah. So it's well, pretty cool. the only place you will have this discussion. <laughs> I mean, it, it just seems so crazy to me that after someone like Martin Luther King Jr. has said we've got to judge people by the content of their character, yes. that we now have to reinforce the idea that your race doesn't matter, your religion yeah. doesn't matter. We really don't care. We only care about your character and your right. values. Right. It's baffling right. to me. Which, which is why Salim suggested we do this. Right. Because he's an incredibly intelligent man who has a ton of experience, education, 
and brings the credibility. And he said, we need to do this roundtable. We need to show the Canadian public that we're not afraid to have this discussion. And we'll do it in a way, of course, because the PPC breeds intelligence, breeds critical thinkers, and we'll have this discussion, and we're not afraid to. Yep. And even if there's disagreements, great, let's have those. Mm -hmm. Because those disagreements are where we find yeah. truth. Ethan spoke of that earlier. Yes, he did. We need to have these debates if it turns into a debate. Yeah. I think that's a good way to end. I think so, too. Yeah, yeah you've done a good job, all of you. Fantastic. Awesome. <laughs> Thanks very much. <coughs> well, that wraps it up for this round. So be sure to join us again next week when we will continue our journey in the right direction. And until then, be right, stay right, do right, act right, think right, and be right back here. We'll see you then. Fade into color, color into black and white. Under the bedclothes, everything will be alright. We've got to win this. Every machine under Crichton and Lister's control, they'll make my life hell. How are you going to win? No one likes you. Especially your running mate. I'm going to win by having the best policies. Policies that help those who need updates and care for the expired and the out of warranty. How are you going to achieve all that? How do you think? By lying, of course. <laughs>